Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 21. And we will be reading from this passage in just a moment. Lord willing, tonight at 5 o'clock, we want to read and study together Psalm 73, which was our part of our daily reading yesterday. We want to read from that tonight and talk about that psalm. The upcoming week, Lord willing, is the busiest week in this particular city. It has the most traffic of any week. Uh, And taking advantage of that, uh, Tony and Katrina have prepared to hand out Bibles in their area next Saturday. And if you want to join in being a part of that, speak with them about that. And we hope that you can do that. Matthew 21 records an event recorded in all the Gospels. And we are now in the last week of the life of Jesus, the Sunday before the crucifixion on Friday. Over one-third of Matthew's Gospel deals with this final week. One-third. Again, the purpose for which Jesus was born was to die. To die and be raised. But in Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, instructing them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there, and a colt with her. Untie them, and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to to Zion, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coat on them. And he sat on the coats. And most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. And others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. As we tell this story of the triumphal entry, I ask you to keep your eyes focused on the question the people of Jerusalem asked. Who is this? And how this provides us with answers to that particular question. Who is this? 
Now, first of all, these are just all of the passages in the gospel that relate to this event. All the passages in the gospels that tell of this triumphal entry of Jesus. And what I want to do, to the best of my ability, is simply to tell the story, incorporating the different parts of the gospel. If there is any difference between what I say and what the text says, you know who to trust. The text is always correct. But somehow this involves a reconstruction of events that I may not always get in the proper order. But the text tells us as they were approaching Jerusalem, they come to the Mount of Olives where you can, because of its height, get a picture of the city of Jerusalem. You can see the city. And these travelers were in the, on the Mount of Olives looking into the city. And the text tells us he sends two of his disciples. He says to go into the village and to get a donkey, untie the donkey and bring it to me. And if the owner says, so why are you taking the donkey? Then you answer. Then you answer, the Lord has need of it. Now, it is interesting. And I don't know if this is too much of a play on this. But the words actually that Jesus uttered were not the Lord, but their Lord has need of of them. Remember Psalm 50? Every beast of a forest is mine. Every cattle upon a thousand hills. These animals are his. Now Mark and Luke emphasize that no man had ever sat upon this cold. But they go, they untie the cold. And so if anyone asks, you just say, their Lord has need of it. Now Mark's account, Luke's account, tell us that indeed they were asked that question. If someone <coughs> if someone had your riding light, uh, if you had your riding mower in the front yard and someone just jumped up and rode off on it, would you ask? They asked. And the answer given is sufficient. Their Lord has need of them. And the Bible tells us that all this took place to what was to feel what was written in the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming on a donkey and even on a colt. The foal of a donkey, your king, is coming to you. Have you ever thought about this? There is not another scene in the Gospels where Jesus is pictured as riding on an animal. 
Now, if I am overlooking something, feel free to bring that to my attention afterwards. But there's not another city from Caesarea Philippi to Jerusalem is, is over a hundred miles. Jesus is not riding this donkey because he's too weary to travel on his own. The disciples, the apostles have made this journey with him and they continue walking by foot. This is acted out for a purpose. He's calling for the donkey. He's riding upon the donkey for a specific purpose as a sign act. He is demonstrating his fulfillment of the words of the prophet from Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey. The text tells us that when he comes, they, they put their clothes upon the beast. And Jesus rides upon them, this donkey on which no one had ever ridden. He, he, he rides on it, and as they get closer to the city, they throw their garments before him. You may remember when they pronounced Jehu as king in 2 Kings 9 in verse 13. They throw their garments down as a sign that you're king and celebrating that. So they get palm branches, the Gospel of John tells us, and they are waving them, celebrating his entrance into the city. And the text tells us that the people are praising God. The crowds that have traveled with Jesus are proclaiming him. This is the height of the excitement of those who follow him as they are going into this city five days before the crucifixion. It says that the crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Luke 19, the text tells us as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which he had seen. They have seen the miracles. They have seen his signs. They have seen his deeds. And they are praising God at that. And they are shouting in Luke chapter, Luke 19 in verse 36. Luke 19 verse 38, excuse me. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Does those words sound for me? Justin read from Luke 2 earlier. A couple of verses later, Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. The same kind of words that were shouted and spoken by the angels when Jesus was born, are now shouted by the people as he is entering the city of Jerusalem. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is too much for some of the Pharisees to bear. 
How can they be proclaiming Jesus as the son of David? How can they be proclaiming him as the king? There are times that Jesus has done miracles and Jesus has said, go and tell nobody. Don't tell anybody. But that day is not now. It's not now. For the Pharisees come to Jesus in Luke 19 in verses 39 and 40 and they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. How could they dare say such things about you being the son of David and you being the king so openly? How could they say this? How could they shout this? How could you let them rebuke them? Jesus said, if they would be quiet, even the stars would cry out. Now, there's no secret. It is proclaimed for all that he is king. The Pharisees are frustrated by this process. They understand, they see the popularity of Jesus. And they say in John 12 and verse 19, you see you're not doing any good? The whole world has gone after him. But Jesus, and this is only recorded in Luke, as he approached the city, he wept over it. He says, Oh, Jerusalem. If only you had known the things which made for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. And he prophesied of the city's destruction. The worshipers were shouting peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But if only Jerusalem had recognized. Their peace was offered to them. I encourage you, go back, read those accounts. Try to place them in some kind of order. But let's focus on this question. know if I put these in the most logical order. So I'm just going to show you all my points because one through three are all tied together and they build us to the climax. But let's look, first look at that first fourth point. Fourth point. What do the people in Matthew say? When this question is asked when this question is asked, who is this? The crowds were shouting, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Now we're going to find just later in this chapter, in the last verse of this chapter, that the religious leaders sought to seize him, when they feared, but they feared the people because they considered him to be 
a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. And Jesus is the prophet. In, in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And him you shall listen to in all things. And the one that doesn't listen to him will be cut off from among the people. The Lord was going to raise up a prophet. Deuteronomy 18 uses the term in singular, prophet. Now, I believe that statement in Deuteronomy 18 has a fulfillment in characters like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And particularly in the call of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 1, it intentionally echoes a lot of those words of Deuteronomy 18. But they are not the ultimate fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18 and the Lord raising up a prophet. The ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus. He is the prophet. He is the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And the first three points all tie together. Who is this Jesus? Who is this one who's entering the city? Why should we follow him? If you're a non-Christian, why should you follow him? If you're a Christian, why should you continue to follow him? Who is this Jesus? One, he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all it says and is emphasized in Matthew 21, 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Isaiah says that some eight or nine times beginning with the virgin birth in Matthew 1, verses 22 and 23. In the way Jesus teaches and where he teaches all of these carefully fulfilled the words of the Old Testament. The words of the Old Testament point to Him. Any list of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus is too short if it doesn't include the whole Old Testament. For He fulfills all of it. And He is the fulfillment of the words of Zechariah chapter 9. He is the son of David. There are going to be three successive episodes here that shout of Jesus as the son of David. We saw it last week in Matthew 20 verses 30 and 31 when the blind men shouted, son of David, have mercy on us. Lord willing, we will see it in the future in Matthew 21 in verse 15 when they proclaim in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. And we see it here. He is the son of David. Now Matthew's gospel in particular drives home this point and it has from the first verse the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the son of Abraham the son of David he is the fulfillment of all the promises that were made to David Hosanna to the son of David did you notice the expression in Luke 2 as Justin read the phrase the city of David in verse 4 in verse 11 he is born in the city of David which is only appropriate 
for the son of David, for the son of David, who would fulfill all these passages. He is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. He is the son of David, and he is the king. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. The word king is invoked in each of the gospels to speak of this triumphal entry. This is the words, these are the words of Mark 11 verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. In Luke 19 verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in John 12 and verse 13, the text says, John 12, 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. At the beginning of the book of John, Nathaniel had said, You are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. John 1.49, now all the people are shouting it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. But... This tells us who this is. This text tells us who he is on a deeper level. On a deeper level. Let me tell you a statement that I kept running across this week in um, studying this text. I continually ran across this statement. This is not a triumphal entry. It's not a triumphal entry. The people are shouting. The Pharisees are discouraged and say the whole world has gone after him. All the city of Jerusalem is stirred as it had been at his birth in Matthew 2 verse 3. Now it is at his entrance. How could this not be a triumphal entry? Well, what did triumphal entries look like in the ancient world? What did triumphal entries look like. The triumphal entry was a case when a leader, a military leader, a king returned from a victorious war. He was usually riding on a white horse and had a train of prisoners and trophies of his victory in the conflict. That's what a triumphal entry often looked like. 
in that world of that day. A general, a king, riding on a white horse, one who had been victorious in battle, one who was carrying all kinds of prisoners, most of whom would be sentenced to death. But that's not what we find here. Let me read Zechariah 9, 9 in context. And let me also read verse 10. This is a passage that is quoted as Jesus fulfilling. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But also, let me read the next verse, Zechariah 9.10. What this king's going to do, I'm going to cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from rivers to the ends of the earth I would say this whole scene and Jesus deliberately enacting this prophecy of Zechariah 9 and verses 9 and 10 is full of meaning and it's full of answers to this question, who is this? He is not only a king, but it tells us the nature of his king, kingdom. The most powerful weapons in battle in the ancient Near East were horses and chariots. You remember Psalm 20, verse 7. Some boast in horses and some in chariots. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 33, verses 16 and 17, a king is not saved by the abundance of his horses and chariots. Those were the number one military weapons in contrast to horses and chariots. Jesus comes riding on a donkey, an animal for carrying burdens, and an animal for riding. He is a king, but he is not the same kind of king that worldly kingdoms offer. As a matter of fact, he's going to cut off, did you hear? In Zechariah 9 verse 10, cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. <clears throat> this king this king is coming in peace. And to offer peace. This king is coming to win the hearts of men. He is not carrying with him, trying to prisoners, 
who are going to be executed once he arrives in the city. It is he who will be executed. As he said in Matthew 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He will be the one who will be executed. The crowds now shout, Hosanna to the coming to the king. Hosanna to the son of David. They are proclaiming aloud of his miracles in John 4. Specifically, they're proclaiming how he raised Lazarus from the dead. They are shouting those things now. But in a few days, the shouts of the crowd will be crucify him. Crucify him. When Pilate asks, what evil has he done? They do not answer. They just continue to shout. Crucify him. Crucify him. He is a king who will seek to turn people's hearts to willing submission to him. I love the picture in Revelation 3.20 written to the church at Laodicea, written to Christians. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20 He's standing at the door. He's knocking. He's riding not on a war horse, but on a donkey. He's riding not with a train of captives, but he's riding to his own execution. And he is offering peace to all who follow him. He is offering peace. That doesn't mean there'll never be difficulties and hardships in our life. But that does mean we're reconciled to God. We have peace with God, as Romans 5, verse 1 says. We have peace with God. And one day, this king who dies and rises again, this king will provide peace from all troubles and all difficulties. Now my friend, I'm not trying to say there are no consequences for rejecting that peace. For Luke 19, 41 through 44 shows us there is, there are there will be consequences for rejecting that peace. But I am saying 
that right now you are not drafted into this army. We volunteer. We volunteer to serve this King. And the biblical text, Matthew 21 through 28, it is written to persuade us to follow Him. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, how awesome you are, how mighty you are, that we, oh Lord, have created hostility between ourselves and you. We have created the problem. And you, Seek to solve it through Jesus. May we stand in all of that. May we humble ourselves and accept your conditions and your terms willingly that we will follow you as our king hold us in your hand and bring us home to glory in Jesus name Amen I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. Are you willing to follow this king and surrender yourselves to him? He surrendered himself for us. He can be trusted with us surrendering our lives to Him. If you want to become a Christian by repenting of sins and be baptized into Christ, if you haven't done that, we want to help you this morning. If you've done that, but you have walked away from this King, why not come back home as we stand and sing?